I chuckled because there was a guy reading the menu. He had his phone out and he had his flashlight on. And he was looking at Chili Verde. Uh, and I commiserated with him because uh, when it's dark like that, you can't see that. So you got to use your flashlight to zone in on stuff. Can I get a witness here in the house of God? <laughs> I got some glasses that had the lens and everything. I just cannot get used to wearing those things. When you step on steps and stuff, you're tripping over stuff. And that just doesn't look very young when you're falling over curbs. <laughs> uh, it's a struggle, ladies and gentlemen. It's a struggle. It's real. It's real. Amen, amen, amen. But thank the Lord for the vitality of the Holy Ghost. I'm hanging on to that promise. That's what I'm hanging on to. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, great, where is thy victory? Praise God. Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory. Are you happy to be in the house of God today? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Luke chapter 12 and verse 22, and he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. These are amazing words that are being spoken, and certainly in a culture that we live in today, these would be um, fantastic words. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're putting on, fashion, raiment. The life is more than what you put in. It's more than your appetite, and the body's more than... Raymond. And so there is a, an answer that he's given to an individual that comes to Jesus and he wants Jesus to help him out with his inheritance and the divisions of that. And, and Jesus leads into a, a conversation and, and this is one of his answers. Don't worry. Take no thought. Don't worry about some things because there's more important things that you should be considering. And so for a few moments... This morning, I want to speak to you about those who wish and those who will. Would you say that with me? Those who wish and those who will. That comes from a famous author, and his name is Louis L'Amour. And so I've taken from one of his books this saying and this title. And at some point in the message today, we'll actually get to that. But, you know, Louis L'Amour is kind of right up there with, like, Paul and... I have not read Louis L'Amour books. My grandfather had just about every single one of them. I read them all when I was younger. And uh, I need to go back and start reading some, some of them again. But my son recently has been, uh, he's been listening to Louis L'Amour. Thinks he's a sacket. The other day I saw him get out of his car and start walking bow-legged to the house. It's like, what are you doing? I was listening to Louis L'Amour. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Those who wish and those who will. There's a difference. It's a difference. Lord, we thank you and praise you for today. We thank you for your anointing and your blessing in the house of God today. And we thank you for your redemption in the hand of God. We ask that you would anoint your word. Uh, allow us to receive it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So in Luke chapter 12, there was one of the company. There was a gathering in chapter 12, 
And the Bible says an innumerable multitude of people insomuch that they trod one upon another. So it was quite a crowd. <laughs> and people were stepping on each other to get close to what Jesus was doing and what he was saying. And one of the company that was there in that crowd asked Jesus to speak to his brother that he would divide the inheritance. And Jesus said unto him, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? The man obviously was wanting some leverage. Typically, in many cases, Jesus would cross the Pharisees, and even in this case, an individual comes to Jesus, and, and they want Jesus to take sides, and they want Jesus to, to be the judge, to make distinctions and determinations and decisions. And many times, Jesus would not speak specifically to the judgment or the distinction, but he would bring in a spiritual truth that was greater than that judgment. In other words, the old saying goes, you can't see the forest for the trees because if you're standing too close to a tree, you can't see up above things, you can't view things. Recently, we're somewhere... I can't even think of where it was, but we were in an elevated position in a room. It might have been a hospital room. No, it was in a room. It was in a hotel room. I was meeting an individual that I met in the Philippines and Hong Kong in Los Angeles this week, and he had a room off Century Boulevard in the Westin uh, Hotel. And so many, many times I've driven down the 405. You get off on Century to go to LAX. You take a right right there, there's a few hotels, there's a gas station, you turn right and you head toward LAX. But when I got into this hotel and went up to the third floor, the whole window looked out on the other side of Century Boulevard. There is a very, very large park-like setting. I'm not sure what they're doing with it. They were doing construction. It's laid out in a grid pattern. There's grass. It, it looks like a park with roads that go into a center point. It's all fenced off. I was shocked. Many, many times have I driven that. I would have never known that that was even there because when you're driving on the freeway, you're only seeing freeway. You're seeing adjacent buildings, but you're not, you're not in an elevated position. And so you cannot see something like that unless only three stories up. When we come to the house of God, we are, our, our purpose is that God would elevate us up. And it doesn't take a whole lot, but elevate us just a few stories up so I'm not seeing the tree in front of me. I'm not seeing the pulpit right here in front of me, but I'm seeing out beyond that, and I'm seeing the forest because God's got better purpose and better destiny for my life. And so sometimes all I'm seeing are problems when God wants, to see, wants me to see more than just my problems. He wants to see the kingdom of God and the work of God and the things of God, not these earthly things that stand right in my way. So many times Jesus, when he's, he's coming across conversations like this, he goes around the discussion and he gets at the greater spiritual principle. And this happens in many, many cases in many ways. This man wanted Jesus to divide the inheritance. And he obviously is wanting leverage in that help. And Jesus responds and says, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things 
which he possesses. And he spake a parable, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself after he gathered all of this stuff, What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns. I'll build greater barns. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Ladies and gentlemen, just in the introduction here this morning, I want to tell you emphatically, I would rather be rich in God than have a lot of possessions. I would rather be rich in the peace of God and not have very much because I know there's more fulfillment in being rich in God than there are in possessions. If that were the case, then people that have a lot of possessions would be very happy people. If it were a matter of material things that made you happy, people in that kind of environment would be very happy in the high strata of life. But they're not because they're still unsettled there is no peace but in the house of God this morning we have stepped into the sanctuary and we've lifted our hands and we have felt something that is a treasure that is connected to a value that money cannot buy and that makes you rich in the house of God you are not a poor person in God today you are a rich person in God Jesus laid this parable out there was something in the man that wanted Jesus to leverage the discussion. And material things were driving his motives. And so Jesus pointed out this parable about a man that builds bigger barns and, and, and more stuff. And I think even deeper in Jesus' meaning, it's not just stuff, but sometimes it can be the stuff of life. It can be the cares of life. It can be the details of life. And I'll even be real honest with you. It can even be the work of God in life. If we're not careful, we can be so busy. We can be, we can so busy ourselves in the kingdom that we don't take time out to pray, to read the Bible, to connect with God on a deeper level. I'm doing the things of God, but I'm really not close to God. And so it wasn't only just material possessions he was talking about. It was just the details of life somehow that can get in the way. This is why it's extremely important. This is why it's very, very important that we spend time in the house of God. Now, back in the day, ladies and gentlemen, they had church, and you correct me if I'm wrong, some of you. They had church on Sunday morning. They had church on Sunday night. They had church on Tuesday night. They had church on Thursday night, and they had church on Saturday night. Is that right? Five services. And people would say, man, that's way, way too much. People nowadays, they only go to church once a year <laughs> or twice. 
maybe on Easter and maybe sometime during the Christmas season, they'll go to church. Why are y'all going to church five times? The reason why is because we want to make sure that our life is not eaten up with the details of life until God is pushed to the background instead of being in the foreground. And so even this morning, it was an effort. Now, I've, I've gotten to the point where I know on Sunday morning this is just something that you do. And so I, there's, a, there's a trough, there's a track, there's a, there, there is the wagon wheels have gone really deep, right? And so it's just something that you do every day. You go to church. Sometimes uh, when I was raising my kids, they would say, well, I don't think we're going to church today. <laughs> well, I think we are. You're not the one that makes that decision because I'm the papa. <laughs> you don't make those determinations. We're going to the house of God. Just like you're going to take the trash out too. Tell me you're not taking the trash out. <laughs> so I, there's, there's a habit. It's a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual discipline to be in the house of God. Why? Because I want, I want the kingdom of God to be the first priority. And sometimes I, I may not feel like, you know what, I... I, I if you put it in a measure of percentages, sometimes it's 90%. I felt like this service tonight, the message, the word of God, everything happened. And I feel like walking away with 90% of connecting to the kingdom of God. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not. But the fact of the matter is, I want to make sure that the kingdom of God becomes the main thing, not the secondary thing. And so this is why we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. This is also why when we have church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Tuesday night, now there's a lot of other things that happen throughout a week in the sanctuary, but those are three principal services that when we come in those three principal services, we need to make those three principal services three principal services. That's pretty profound, huh? That was that was pretty profound. <laughs> Wasn't in my notes either. We need to make church powerful when we come together in those services. So it's not only material things, but it can be details of life, worried about stuff, and God gets left out. And so Jesus says to them, your anxiety you're worrying about these things is foolish because life consists of far more than what one eats or wears. And he tells them throughout this chapter about the birds and how God responds and, and there is a design. There's an ecological system that connects us and the birds are pro provided for it. God produces that as a creator and so he feeds and he cares and he does all of these things. And he sets that up as an example and he says, are you, are you not more important than the birds and God's creation? You're more important than those things because you are my disciples. And God takes care of what belongs to him. And so he says, worrying is foolish because worrying is of a pagan world. This is the man that worries about stuff and he builds more barns and he's in this rapid pursuit to increase stuff and increase wealth and become all of this kind of stuff and he's missing out on something very important because at some point in time in his life he's going to take inventory of his life and recognize things are not in possession. 
You know, the guy that wants to be buried with his favorite Cadillac is missing the point. Because your soul is more important than the Cadillac. Your soul is more important than the material things. In the house of God, we brought our physicality, our physical being here. But what we're really working on is the song that was sung here, the redemption of what God has breathed into us. We are a living, breathing soul that has potential. And Jesus said, worrying is, is the foolishness of the world. And it ignores spiritual realities that are important. He said, for all these things, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 30, do the nations of the world seek after? That's what they seek after. The nations of the world seek after. Another reason why we come to the house of God is we unplug from a world. And, and the world that, that we're plugged into is a social media world. It's a lot of stuff that's plugged in. And there's a lot of clickbait stuff that, that operates that the creators have stated. It's just like a hit on a drug. It's clickbait. And so you're, you're plugged into all of this kind of stuff. And it's good to come into the house of God and say, I'm unplugging for an hour and a half. And I'm going to focus on greater spiritual realities than this world that we live in. I don't care who slammed who and who blasted who and who's saying what politically, economically, entertainment world, fashion world, sport world. I, I want to unplug from all of that. What I do want to plug into when I come into the house of God is the presence of God and the anointing of God and the ability of God and the strength of God and the peace and the peace of God and the joy of God. I want to plug into those things. This is one of the reasons why you should unplug, literally. If you are sitting, in, I, even, if the ser, even if the sermon's boring, okay, <laughs> and you're kind of nodding off, that's better than sitting there and being so absorbed and addicted to looking at your IG account. Who posted in the last 10 minutes? What's Donald Trump saying? What did Nancy Pelosi respond to? What is Fox? You understand what I'm saying? We come into the house of God, we should unplug from a world and say, I'm plugging into something that is more value. I'm plugging into the kingdom of God. Amen. So he says in Luke chapter 12 and verse 30, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your father knoweth that you have need of these things. He's not denying that you can have material possessions and things and details of life. He says your father knows. He knows you have need of these things. But watch what he says. One of the most famous pronouncements in Scripture in Luke chapter 12, verse 31. But rather, seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Your career should be secondary to the kingdom of God. Your house and lands and finances and investments and everything should be secondary to the kingdom of God. Because your first priority here in this passage that is laid out so beautifully is rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Relationships. There's two major relationships. 
two major decisions that, that, that I tell uh, young people that they will make. Brother Ken Gurley preached a message at senior camp. Do you remember that, Brother Brock? He said there are two major decisions in life for this age bracket that I'm speaking to, young people. He said you're going to make a decision on whether or not you're going to live for God. That's one of the big major decisions that you're going to make in life. And number two, you're going to make a decision on who becomes your partner in that pursuit of life. And he said, you can't get number two, the second decision, you can't get that in front of the first decision. Because you'll make a huge mistake if you pursue relationships without God being in the center of it. Because God is what is supposed to hold it all together. And so he dismantles their, their whole approach here, and he speaks to them. And I'm telling you, we come to the house of God, and there's a lot of stuff that can go through our head. Uh, the bills and work and school. And right now, my refrigerator's not working. It hasn't been working for, for three weeks. And I'm getting tired of having to walk all the way out into the garage to get something in an old refrigerator. And so that's a problem. And then how, how long does a part take? to come in? How many times do you have to call and ask and schedule all of that? And, and there's all these, these, these other things that go into life and the details of life. And, and, and then, and then I've, I really feel for some parents that have uh, younger children. They make an effort, and I appreciate I want to say this emphatically. You may not feel like it, but the fact that you're coming is establishing something, just like that whole, we're not going to church today. It should never be something that your children wake up and wonder. That's why I was so shocked. We don't sit around and make a determination of whether or not we're going to church. What in the world entered into your brain? Have you lost your mind? Right? It's not a, but if, if you're not diligent in some of these things, then that becomes the case. Are we going or are we not going? You're training up a child in the way that they should go. So there's some discipline associated with that. There's some planning that goes into that. It's not easy, right? Young people, they get married, and they're excited. They're, they're spontaneous, and then they have that first baby. And I always love to go up to them afterwards and say, well, now what's <laughs> Makes you feel old, right? What's life like now? <laughs> Because well, inevitably what they say is we can't just get up and take off and go and do. You got, you got this diaper bag. You got this. You got this car seat. You got all this stuff. And, 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 and that takes an hour. And by the time you finally get into the car, you're like, ah, let's just turn around and go back. It's not going to be worth it. It's not going to be worth it. And then you start having more kids. And all these details of life start entering into the picture that make things a challenge. And so sometimes you come to the house of God and you're wondering, did I get anything at all out of it? You may not, but you're establishing an example. <clears throat> you're establishing an example. So we come and all this stuff is entering into our minds, into our thoughts. And we're worried about impressions and we're worried about all this, all this kind of stuff. It can be contagious. And, and there are some very, very clear things in this passage of scripture, Jesus is really honing in on a, a, a human trait and the nature of humanity to be anxious and to worry and to be unsettled. 
and, and just unsettled. That's a great word. I'm just unsettled. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing and where I'm supposed to be going. And I'm just unsettled. I don't feel settled. I don't feel like I'm standing on a firm foundation. And so you, you get into this kind of mode of, of, of thinking. And this is not good. And so Jesus hones in on that, that trait, that nature, that character. And he says there should be, based on his spirit and his anointing, there should be a contentedness that is in us that's connected to the power of God and the spirit of God. If I'm sitting on a church pew and I've got the Holy Ghost and I'm discontented because I'm striving for things, material things and life and everything, something is wrong because godliness with contentment is great gain, the scripture says. And so there, there is... Uh, there's much damage that is done when people worry too much. Worrying is not good for you. Being anxious is not good for you. It's destructive in many, many ways. It can become a mental burden that can even cause physical problems. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 25, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, but it says this way, worry weighs a person down. An encouraging word cheers a person up. Worrying becomes like a weight that is upon a person. And it's the opposite of trusting in God. It's rooted in not knowing the outcome of the future. And so because I don't know what the future holds, I'm unsettled and I'm worried and I'm anxious. And this is the heart of what Jesus was saying. Don't worry about what you're eating and what you're wearing. There's something greater. It's the kingdom of God. Worrying is rooted in all of this kind of thinking. And it's worrying about the future. And it's trying to control the future. It's trying to manipulate somehow and know what's going to transpire and take place. And you can't do that because you don't know the future. And people that are worriers in this type of way typically are people that want to control things. You can't control the future. You can't control right now. You can't control today. You can't control the fact that you came to the house of God. But you can't control tomorrow. And so worrying about tomorrow is not going to be advantageous to you. It's going to be destructive. It's the opposite of trusting in God. Some things I have to trust in the Lord and lean not to my own understanding. And the energy that I would spend worrying can be put to better use by praying. Have you ever seen the sign that says, why worry? Pray. Spending all this time worrying about things is not going to help. But if I pray, I'm putting something into action. You see the difference there? If I'm worrying about it, I'm agitated about it, I'm unsettled. But if I put that out of my mind and just start praying about it, did you know what happens when you really pray and you come out of a prayer meeting? What happens? You feel settled. You feel like you have direction. You feel like you've got an understanding of where I'm going and what I'm doing. Jesus exemplified this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Everything around me, all this stuff going through my mind, the difficulties and the cross that is before me, but I'm going to spend some time alone. There were many occasions that Jesus squirreled away alone so he could put some things into action rather than worrying about things. Worry replaced by prayer equals trust. That's a nice, neat little equation. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 6. Be careful for nothing. Don't worry about things. But in everything, 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth, put that up, would you, Brother Barrett, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So I should not be anxious about all these details and things in life, but I should, I should spend some time in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Worrying ends up attaching itself to the wrong kingdom and the wrong direction. When Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, this should be my focus. Worrying focuses on things that are not connected to the kingdom of God. James Adams gave this quote, this very powerful quote. He said, the freedom now desired by many is not the freedom to do and dare, but freedom from care and worry. People are so worried about things that they've forgotten to do and dare. It can be so debilitating and crippling that you don't put your life into action. You're not doing and you're not daring because you're worried about all the details, all the details. And I'm convinced this is, this is a problem in the modern church. We can't be worried about so many personal issues and problems that we can't see the bigger picture, which is the kingdom of God. I got to be involved in the kingdom of God. I got to be connected in the kingdom of God. I'd rather be connected in the kingdom of God and my career go up in flames and know that I'm, I'm doing the work of God. God's going to provide for me. I'd rather walk away from my education if my education is going to pull me from the kingdom of God. Somebody said amen. That's a, that's a real strong point because we're all about education, education, education. Who cares if you lose your soul? Got to be in my career. Got to be in my career. Got to work these hours. Got to work these hours. Got to pay for all this stuff. Got to do all this stuff. Got this mortgage. Got this. Yeah, and God, God's pushed to the background. And now, instead of being a person that is contented in godliness, we're a person that is run ragged by the enemy and the cares of the world and all the details of life so we can't get to to the things that really matter. This is serious, serious stuff here. If, if you're working so much that you can't even get to the house of God, you're in a dangerous position. And I, and I feel for you. I understand where you are. But at some, at some point, you've got to take inventory and say, what really matters here? Because if you're not in church and you're not connected to the church and the family and the encouragement and the strength of God, it can become very easy to grow distant, isolated, cold, indifferent to the things of God. Now all of a sudden my whole thrust in life is in all of this stuff. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Jonah almost missed out on a great revival. Why? Because he was worried about what Nineveh would think. Those people don't want me to come. They don't want me to come preach. And he had a preconceived notion and idea, and he almost missed out on a great revival. How do you get out of a, a, a mode of thinking, of being anxious, 
as was described in Luke chapter 12. You have to move to action. And this is where the quote from Louis L'Amour and the Sackett folk comes from because Oren Sackett, he wanted to do and he wanted to become. And sitting around worrying about stuff and not putting into action was anathema to his character. And so there was a, a quote in one of these stories about Oren Sackett that went this way. He remembered something Paul said. Paul quoted it, rather, from a distant relative gone long before. There's two kinds of people in the world, son, those who wish and those who will. The wishers wish to be. The ones who will, they sort it out and do it, they will it. Comes from the book entitled Lonely on the Mountain. You got the wishers and you got those who will things. I wish I could receive a breakthrough. I wish I could receive the Holy Ghost. Hey, you're going to have to get out of the wish world and you're going to have to get in the will world. I'm not wishing about a breakthrough. I'm going to do some things that bring about a breakthrough. I'm not relying on somebody else. I'm the one that's in the need of prayer. And so I'm going to get my breakthrough in the house of God. I'm going to push my way through. I'm going to seek the Holy Ghost. I'm going to make some things happen. I wish I could read through the Bible. Start reading a little bit at a time and you'll get there. But if you sit around wishing, it's never going to happen. I wish I could have a breakthrough in liberty and worship God. Well, get your hands up and start doing some things. I wish I could shout before the Lord and, and dance, but that's just not in my nature. Start doing something that is a little outside of what you're accustomed to doing and stop wishing and put it into action and say, I am going to will it. I'm going to will revival. I wish there was energy in the house of God rather than saying I'm going to make energy in the house of God tonight. I wish everybody would be focused. How about you saying I'm going to will my own focus. I'm going to seek some things in my life. I'm going to make it happen. I wish we had more Bible studies. Hey, let's do some Bible studies. I wish more people were invited to church. Hey, let's start inviting more people to church. Those who wish, those who will. Those who wish, and those who will. I'm coming to a conclusion here. Today in the house of God, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. What is that right there? Brother McAllister, if you would come. What is that right there? That's an unloading of the wishful thinking. Isn't that what he said? Don't worry about what you're putting on, and don't worry about what you're eating, because those things will all come on their own. What you really should be worried about is, am I in the kingdom of God here? Am I in the will of God here? Am I doing what I need to do? Cast all your care upon him for he careth for you is an unloading of all the wishful thinking. It's an unloading of all the worry, all the anxiety. And do what? Okay, that's what I'm supposed to do. Then what? 
Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom, here it is right here. Resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Put it into action. Cast all your cares and then put some things into action in your life. There's going to be some resisting that you have to do. You're going to have to will some things in your life. Praise God. I wish it wasn't so much of a struggle. I, I, I wish there wasn't so many temptations. I wish there wasn't so much influence by the outside world. You're going to have to stop that because all that's going to do is lead you in a vicious cycle of having difficulties and trying to get up and having, you got to will some things. You got to start thinking differently. You got to stop saying, I wish and start saying, you know what? I got to develop some things in my life that becomes a barrier and a wall that, that is a resistance against some of this stuff. You got to will some What did it say? There's some that wish and there are those who will. Amen. Ah, praise God. What in the world, Brother Richard Ross? Oh, I thought you were standing up to support my preaching. Okay, okay. okay. Because if you were standing up based on my preaching, then you would have thrown all of us under the bus. Because not all, all of us just had a knee replacement. But you just needed to stretch. Okay, all right. All right. <laughs> it's good to see you in the house of God, by the way. Amen. Where was I? What was I saying? You got to will some things. You got to will some things. This is what I was going to say. We, we didn't get here... This church did not arrive here. Stop, stop and think about the history. Brother Terry, in every successive generation from the very beginning, this thing wasn't formed on wishful thinking. I wish we could have a church that had some longevity and some consistency. I was talking to somebody out in the lobby just recently. I'd noticed they'd been coming a little bit, and so I, saw, I, I stopped them and started talking to them and found out they were connected to Paul Wilson's church up in Delano. And, and, and then they came down south. Things happened in their life. They stopped going to church and what have you. Then they got back in church and started going to a church. The bottom fell out from underneath the church. Uh, There's a relationship all connected with that and, and, and everything. And then came to the house of God, stepped in here and said, you know, this felt like home. This was kind of like home. And, and, and this place that I was going to, Everything just collapsed. Just like overnight, things changed dramatically. She said, I, I, couldn't, I can't deal with that. I couldn't deal with that. And then she said, but you're all too strict. I said, oh, now, wait a minute, sis. Stop thinking about what you're saying. You came in here and it felt like home. What felt like home? Presence of God. Felt the anointing of God. 
Why did you leave the place where you were? Because the whole bottom fell out of it. I said, that's exactly why it's good to have some consistency in a church over the longevity because there are people looking for not up and down experiences, not worrying about worrying, not worrying about whether or not the church is going to be what it is and then all of a sudden it changes, but knowing that there's something that's a foundation here, a structure. That wasn't built on wishful thinking. That was built on somebody saying, I'm going to will it happening. And you become a part of that. This place doesn't operate without your willful thinking about what we're doing in the house of God. Those who wish and those who will. I will not worry. I will not doubt. God knows the problem and he will work it out. This is the mentality that we should face in life. I'm not going to worry about it. God's got it in control. What I need to worry about is, am I in the will of God? Because if God is for me, who can be against me? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. He will not leave me, nor will he forsake me. So I'm not going to worry about all the details I'm going to trust in God. I know my God is able to provide all we require, so I shall continue lifting praises higher and higher. You know how you effectively will some things and you will worry out? You start praising him. You got a lot of things I could be worried about, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory. Okay, The car just broke down. I just lost my job, but I, I'm in the house of God. And rather than sitting there and have wishful thinking and being anxious, I'm going to praise God because I know he's fixing to open another door. He's going to provide a way where it seems there is no way. I'm going to praise him. God is so loving, gracious, and kind, and he places within me such perfect peace of mind. Can't buy peace of mind, but he brings to us peace of mind. I shall not get discouraged nor give in to doubt. I trust in God. I know he'll work it out. And then nothing at all is impossible for God. So why I used to worry about things now seems very, very odd. Every hero of the faith, as we stand together in the house of God, in Hebrews chapter 11, from Abraham to Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to Moses, the children of Israel, Hebrews, into the New Testament, Paul, Peter, the disciples, Jesus himself, were individuals that didn't sit around and worry and be and wish willed some things into action. And in this passage of scripture, in Luke chapter number 12, Jesus sets the dynamic and the philosophy, the worldview, our worldview should be connected to this. And that is, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added. Praise God. Seeking the kingdom of God and the house of God today. Let's lift up our hands and our voice today in conclusion of this service. God, help me focus. Help me focus myself on your will, your direction, your way. Praise God. Help me to see not just trees, but help me see the forest, the work that you do. Praise God. Praise God. The direction, the destiny, connection. 
so much of the world being about the pursuit of things and happiness and all of those things. I lift my hands to you in the house of God and give to you praise because I recognize your anointing and the presence of God and the Holy Ghost in my life is more valuable than any, anything else. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I love you, Lord. I praise you. God. We're going to sing that again, but we're going to have an altar call. I think we should have a move every service we have. So this is going to be a simple one, but I want you to think about just for a moment some things that you're wishing, you're thinking, you're worrying about. Right? It's human nature. Jesus zeroed right in on it. So every single one of us, I, I've been honest with you, I'm worrying about that crazy refrigerator. Uh, so it could be something small and insignificant, but I want you to bring it today in a response to God, and I want you to say, God, help me stop worrying about the stupid refrigerator. Who cares if you have to walk an extra couple feet? I mean, that's pretty elementary, but there's there's greater issues and problems in this building that people are anxious about. I, I just want you to step forward. I want you to step forward today, and I, I want you to lay those things out, things that you you're thinking about, you're worrying about, you're anxious about. I want you to put that before God and say, God, I'm casting this off on you. I'm going to stop wishing or worrying about it, and now I'm going to will some things. I'm going to allow you to direct and guide. Amen. I'm going to will some things today. I'm going to turn it over to you, and I want you to direct me. Guide me. Praise God. Simple prayer today. could be very small and insignificant, but it could be very large. Praise God. I'm going to put, I'm going to stop worrying about my health. Man, there's a lot of stuff. I'm going to stop worrying about things that plague my mind and cause me difficulties. I've been anxious and stressed out about something. Oh, but in the house of God today, I'm going to unload the wishful thinking and I'm going to will some things today by saying in the house of God with uplifted hands, Lord. Praise God. I'm going to praise you in the storm. I'm going to worship you in the grief. I'm going to magnify you in all the questions. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I thank you, Lord, and praise you. I praise you. I thank you for your ministering hand and your ability and your anointing, Lord. Hallelujah. I love you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. Extend those things that you did in the house of God, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. That's it. Just in a few moments of time today, God can release us from some things that we've been carrying around. And he can plant within us an ability to carry and to move forward and to be settled and to be at rest. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Shall we praise him together? I love you, Lord. I praise you. Your word says to do it, to magnify you, to worship you, and to praise you. So we do that together today in the house of God. I love you, Lord.